Welcome back to another episode of Creative Talks Commercial Real Estate Podcast. In this episode, you will hear from Chris Long, the Vice President of Devil Smith's New York office, about job hunting, networking, and career tips. Devil Smith is an international recruitment firm that has offices in New York, Houston, London, and Dublin. Chris Long spent the past nine years with the company in London and now the U.S. During this time, he has executed a high number of executive-level searches across the commercial real estate sector. Before leaving to start the New York City office, Chris also spent four years as Devil Smith's talent director, managing all of the firm's internal recruitment, training, and culture development. During this time, the company was named the Sunday Times' eighth best company to work in the UK and the number one place to work in the real estate sector by Property Week magazine. So let's get started. Audio's okay. Audio's good. All right, we have people joining us now. All right, let's start the show. Mariah, great. Thank you, Minja, for making sure that we're set up for success. And this is part two of the CRE Career Enrichment Extravaganza event. We are diving into our recruiter session to discuss interview tips, resume, personal brand, as well as. Insights for employers attracting new talent. We're very excited to get started. We have Chris Long, executive real estate recruiter from Devrel Smith. Chris Long is based in New York City. He has executed a number of high-profile executive appointments as well as executive-level searches across the real estate sector. Devrel Smith has named has been named the Sunday Times eighth best company to work in in the UK. And the number one place to work in in the real estate sector by Property Week magazine. So we're really looking forward to your insights, Chris. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me, and uh, happy Friday, everybody. I hope you've had a good week, uh, as good as it can be at the moment. Um, and yeah, great to be here. So um, I thought to start with a little bit of background for Deborah Smith. So we are uh, a global search recruitment and talent solutions business, purely focused in the real estate market. So we're Headquartered in London,、uh, and we have offices in New York, Houston, and in Dublin, Ireland.、Um, and we tend to look in the real estate markets in three main areas. So we look at、uh, transactional real estate. So we work with businesses who are buying, selling, funding, financing, and leasing real estate. We work in the development and construction space. So、uh, both client side with developers, and also contractor side with general contractors. And then we also look at the management and operations of real estate, so asset, property, facilities management, and the operation of those properties and businesses, be it through finance, marketing, and other operational roles. So they're the kind of main areas that we cover.、Um, as、uh, Mariah touched upon there,、um, we're really proud that、um, our company was recognised as, as actually a great place to work in the UK、um, in 2018. We were the eighth best. Last year we were the 17th best. And that's out of every every company in the UK, and we were also、uh, recommended as the the best place to work in the real estate sector in the UK. So we really feel that we practice what we preach,、uh, and we advise clients not just on hiring, but also on、uh, all of the things they do around talent management within their businesses. So that's us. Great background. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so yeah, we're gonna jump in. We're gonna just jump right in, and Minja will be starting us off discussing personal brand. Oh, you're muted. 
Sorry, technical difficulties. Um, yesterday, one of the topics that we discussed with, in our five chat sessions and also our other sessions is about using social media, such as LinkedIn, to build your personal brand, to find a niche um, and find your um, industries that you're becoming an expert in. And one of the example I gave was that I know one multifamily family lender, all he shares about on LinkedIn is multifamily stuff. And that's how he built his reputation, his personal brand. So what are your, some of your thoughts or tips about personal branding, Chris? Yeah, it's a big thing. And obviously with the advent of social media, um, it, it, it's becoming more and more prevalent. But how you portray yourself to your market, to your peers, to potential employers, uh, to competitors and to potential clients is, is really key to your success in your career in commercial real estate. And you know, it takes lots of different uh, uh, aspects. But I think the biggest thing is engagement and engaging with people. Um, it's not well and good just clicking like. Um, but actually engaging in conversation and actually stimulating those conversations as well, asking questions, uh, putting your opinion across and asking people to give their opinion back. And, uh, and with that, you're very demonstrating that you are uh, becoming a thought leader and you have genuine interest in what you're doing and genuine insight into what you're doing. And that's what people want. Um, and that's what employers certainly want is they want people who are genuinely passionate and interested about, about what they're doing in real estate. Um, so you can really demonstrate that on, on social media, um, you know, creating content, um, you know, that can take so many different forms, but we're seeing a lot more video these days, obviously blogs and articles um, and sharing of, of interesting articles. But I think, again, it's not just enough to share an article, but put your opinion and your comment on that article above it to show that you've actually interpreted it and understood it uh, and then ask people for their thoughts back. So I think engagement is really good, but you know, being personal, being authentic, being yourself. Um, there's a great guy, uh, David Stanton, I believe, from Eastern Union, who uh, posts a lot of videos. And a lot of them aren't necessarily attributed to you know, funding of real estate. They're attributed to um, you know, personality and, and how you should operate, and how you should act. And he's got a great following. And, and that's just him being authentic and him being himself. So there are different ways to do it. Um, but I think always be looking to add value. That is the ultimate bottom line is adding value to people is what you're saying uh, going to give somebody a uh, value uh, and going to give them a reason to want to interact with you, uh, you know, move forward. And I consider myself a content creator as well. And one of my advice to all of the students and young professionals, or it, you don't have to be a young professional, you can just be a professional with many years of in, um, experience is that become a content creator, not a content consumer. And that is how you build your personal brand. And every time when you post something on LinkedIn, don't go after the number of likes or the number of followers. Because at the end of the day, as long as you provide valuable context, you will build your reputation in the industry. This is a long-term game. Um, you won't establish your reputation overnight. So you have to consistently doing it every day. Most definitely. And I think, you know, if you're well read, and this is a big theme that we're going to talk about, you know, is the amount of information out there. Being well read is really important. And so you can bring in other people's opinions and ideas into your content. So mm -hmm. I'm writing a piece about the multifamily sector. I might bring in something that I learned on a podcast yesterday from a broker. I might bring in something that I read in an article from a developer and bring that in to structure your and give some uh, credentials to what you're saying. But then also don't be afraid to offer your opinion as well, because that's what matters. Um, you know, getting your voice, voice out there is as important as regurgitating other people's. And also be careful what you put on social media, because I know from recruiters perspective, 
all of the companies looked at your social media profiles when yeah. they're hiring. And this is where I might get caught out. So I'm hoping mine's all locked down. But no, I'd say, you know, there is keeping business and pleasure separate is important. And, um, you know, uh, certainly locking down any personal social media, we're all entitled to a personal life. Um, and that shouldn't have a negative impact on our on our professional life as long as you know, they, they don't interact too much. But um, yeah, lock down those things and, 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 you know, try and keep it as professional, but also authentic. Don't be somebody you're not, um, but but obviously be aware that you know you're completely visible mm-hmm. out there. Yep. And speaking of um, job hunting and resume, Mariah, would you like to ask something about job market and from your experience of what the job market looks like right now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's interesting in thinking about how you're preparing for your job search and thinking about how your social media profile looks, how you're thinking about your brand and establishing yourself as a thought leader, but. To Minj's point, what does the job market look right now? Um, are there any factors, challenges that you see affecting the job market? Yeah, I mean, look, we've all been reading the press and we've seen that the numbers coming out and the various job reports. And, uh, you know, it's certainly tough out there. I mean, obviously, certain sectors, hospitality and retail have suffered more than most. In terms of real estate, yeah, I mean, it's definitely had a, an impact. There's two key factors that I think have impacted let's say that the number of vacancies coming to the market. Um, you know, usually the two drivers are uh, businesses are looking to grow and so they're looking to bring in new talent to help grow new departments, take on new portfolios, uh, run new acquisitions. And unfortunately, given that the market at the moment, those vacancies have decreased. And unfortunately, we've actually seen obviously layoffs and, and some furloughing uh, and hiring freezes uh, within businesses. So that kind of tap to uh, vacancy uh, generation has been turned turned off. It, it is coming back on though. I'd like to try and put some positivity out into the market that uh, you know we, we are certainly seeing it, seeing it turning back on, which is great. But um, you know, I, do, I wouldn't say it's been a V-shaped recovery just yet. But there are some 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 good signs out there. I think the other tap to um, job creation or, or vacancy creation is people moving jobs, and I think there is a hesitance at the moment for people to move jobs. Uh, obviously, uh, people are, who are in secure roles maybe are hesitant to move to another role where they might be last in, first out, um, or they might move to a company whereby they're not looking after their staff as well as, as others might be in, in the current pandemic. Uh, and so uh, people are hesitant to move, and that hasn't created that natural uh, churn and, and turnover of vacancies. So with those two taps having been uh, you know, closed for a few weeks now, it's definitely decreased things. But, you know, Deborah Smith, I mean, we've certainly, uh, you know, uh, seen a number of vacancies coming in over the last couple of weeks. We've filled roles in development, in construction. Um, I think property management, I'd say, has probably been the most resilient of sectors. I think just given the fact that properties always need to be managed, uh, regardless of, of the market. Um, you know, if it's somebody's residential home, um, that building needs to be managed from a safety point of view, from a legislative point of view, also from a service point of view. And even in commercial buildings, even though people aren't necessarily in their offices right now, those buildings still need to be managed. You know, they are multi, multi-million pound assets with complex machinery um, and, you know, uh, complex budgeting and financial arrangements in place. So we're seeing that being quite a resilient resilient sector. Um, the biggest, I think the biggest knocks have been in the transactional world. Uh, investment sales and office brokerage, as you can imagine, you know, transaction volumes have dropped significantly. Uh, and it's definitely been hard for, for those guys. Um, 
But, you know, there are definitely glimmers, uh, glimmers of hope or, you know, even more than that. So in the last couple of weeks, we had a meeting with my team earlier before this. And, you know, we're breaking records in terms of our activity and output, um, which is a great barometer for the rest of the market to see that more interviews are being booked, more re- vacancies are being registered uh, and more people are being hired. So that's a, a, a good sign. Excellent. And in thinking about how you're connecting professionals with these roles, how are you sourcing these opportunities, sourcing the talent to make sure that it's a fit um, with the opportunities that are becoming available in property management and on the fund side, as you mentioned? Sure. So, I mean, in terms of new roles, I mean, we, you know, we have great relationships with clients um, in, in the market. And so, you know, we've been really acting in the last 10 weeks as, a, as an advisor to businesses, you know, businesses that are going through a tough time. You know, recruitment probably isn't the number one priority at the moment. I mean, definitely isn't. You know, survival is is probably the number one priority. But there are lots of things that we can advise and help clients on, um, you know, in terms of uh, managing their talent and, and, and just being being good employers at the moment. And we're going to touch a little bit on, on this, I think, later in, uh, in this uh, webinar. But, you know, it's really important that clients are communicating well and, and, and looking after their staff. So we're utilizing our relationships. Um, you know, we, like job searchers out there, are doing a lot of research and identifying where the pockets of opportunity are, uh, where businesses are still growing or still looking for opportunities to grow. Um, and then from a, a candidate perspective, um, you know, we, 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 we work a lot on our brand, you know, getting our brand out there. We have a lot of candidates coming to us. Um, we're seeing an incredible response rate to job adverts. And I mean incredible just by the sheer volume of responses to job adverts. And that's a kind of two-edged sword because, you know, great, you know, we're getting lots of response, but, you know, often it's difficult to go through, you know, we, we put an advert out, we've got 250 responses inside something like 24 hours. Uh, and so that is a vast undertaking to go through that level of responses. And, you know, I wanted to reach out to people who are, applying for jobs at the moment and say i get it it's tough because and you are in a really competitive landscape so um you know there are other things that you can try and do to get yourself relevant and visible to to potential hiring managers so i'd say that um yeah that's a great source and obviously um you know we're utilizing linkedin um we're utilizing our referral networks through our network of of clients and people we know here Um, that's an extensive thing um, that's definitely helping us to find people uh, and then just actively approaching people you know you don't know what people's situations are um, and being proactive as uh, i would encourage any other job seeker to be we're, we're practicing what we preach as well excellent and in thinking about getting yourself ready for hiring managers ninja would you like to switch gears and thinking about the resume which everyone is thinking about really yes um yes i really agree on chris's point about the competition right now in the job market. And one of the most common questions um, students or professionals I to ask is, how do I stand out among all of these different resumes in the candidate pool? Or some of the tips that I can learn from Chris' expertise about resumes? Yeah, I mean, your resume is a snapshot to your career. And you know, there are lots of other things you can make yourself visible. And I would say your LinkedIn profile and your resume um, you know, should be, uh, aligned. Uh, you know, your LinkedIn profile is very much your outbound visible, um, but your, your resume is your snapshot to your career and it's your foot in the door in a lot of cases. Um, now, sometimes with, with, with a recruiter, you know, um, they might be able to help you with your resume, but um, some great tips I've picked up um, you know, over my career. And I think some of the big ones are, are you know, important things first. 
So, you know, what is the most important and relevant thing to your job search? Put that first. So if you're a graduate, your education is going to be pretty high up on that list. So that should be up first rather than at the very end of your your resume. If you're an experienced professional with 25, 30 years experience, your education, although very important, is not the first thing that should be on your resume. It should be uh, leading into what's important. I think um, one mistake I see sometimes is, is, is having the right order. So most recent things first as well is, is very, very important. Um, you know, you want people to have the, the most relevant and recent information accessible first. Mm-hmm. Um, another big thing is, is a phrase that um, I, I sort of learned is output over function. And what I mean by that is function is your job. And that might be your job description that you have. But really, no one wants to read a job description as part of your resume. They want to know what you did. And that's your output. So focusing on your key achievements and giving everything that you, you you talk about a size and scale. So evidencing things. So I use an analogy. You know, if I'm a property manager and I, and I look after you know, a thousand unit portfolio for a luxury developer in New York City and I don't reference that thousand unit or luxury developer, I'm just a property manager. Um, you know, I could be a property manager managing five uh, you know, single family homes um, in my local area. It, it doesn't, you know, without that size and scale, you're not really giving yourself, um, you know, or demonstrating uh, your worth and what you're doing. So I think size and scale is really important. Output over function. So focusing on your, your achievements and focusing on um, you know, how much of something that you do using figures. I appreciate there's, all, you know, there's always sensitivities using figures. So make sure that you're not uh, divulging the company at uh, the company secrets. But, you know, publicly available information, feel free to use that. If you're in a transactions role, a deal sheet. Everyone should have one. Some people have a little black book they write all their deals in. Some people have it through their CRM. But having a deal sheet nicely formatted in Excel that's freely available, uh, again, demonstrating you know, how good you are at your job. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and then in just in terms of format, because I know um, there's a lot of different thoughts around format. And I think that, you know, try and avoid anything too jazzy. You know, try and keep it clear and concise using bullet points. But don't use things like text boxes. There's a couple of main reasons for that. One reason is that if you're applying to jobs, quite often your resume will go through what we call an ATS system. It's an applicant tracking system. And that is what clients use or companies use to filter their their applications that come from a job uh, uh, job advert. And if your formatting is uh, a little bit awry, sometimes the ATS won't pick up. Um, you know, key things from your resume. And so you could actually be doing yourself a disservice. And um, also from a recruiter's point of view, you know, often we're spending times helping candidates editing their CVs. And if there is, uh, you know, a myriad of different formatting, it becomes difficult to do that as well. So I think keep it simple and focus on the content, but make sure the content is easily available and accessible to the reader. Um, that's been my biggest bit of advice. Um, another thing, um, Tweak your resume for each role you're applying to. Some people will have multiple resumes. So that, you know, if you're looking for a, a sales role, a marketing role, administration role, you know, they, they, they fall into similar sort of categories, but you might be having a wide, diverse job search. So having a different resume for each one is really, really important. And if you can, have, have one that's directed for each job you're going after. Um, you know, there are subtle tweaks you can make to make your uh, application relevant to that particular role. And it's worth taking the time. Um, you know, I think it's better off sending 10 quality applications and 100 applications that are generic. Uh, I think you'll get a, a much better response and, uh, from that. And another thing that I see some of the people are doing is put their resume PDF on LinkedIn. 
under their profile? What do you think yeah, about that? I've seen that. I mean, look, you know, I think if you're currently employed, you might, you might, that might be a bit of a signal to your current employer of, of your of your uh, intentions, and you know, that's fine if if your employer is aware that you might be looking for a job. But I'd say it probably is a kind of a uh, you know a, a warning flag that you're doing that. But I think you know your LinkedIn profile, you can update that as much as you can. So the information that's on your resume, you can have on your LinkedIn profile. Uh, and that's about personal branding. And if, and if any employer was saying to me, oh, why have we done that? I'd say it's my personal brand. Uh, I want to show myself to our, our competitors and our clients and our customers and all of that, what I do. So I would, I would encourage people to do that. But if you are an active job seeker, uh, maybe you know, you've unfortunately been unemployed, then yes. I mean, a- any means possible to get your information out there is, is critical. Um, but I'd say that your LinkedIn profile, you can, you can put all that information on there. And also, um, speaking of um, LinkedIn, I know LinkedIn has some search job search function, and they also have like recruiter function where you click the button and it says, so now you're noticing all of the recruiters that you're available without letting your current employer know sure. that you're looking for a job, right? Sure. So yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a feature called open to opportunities. Um, it's I think it's like a little radar symbol uh, and you click that box. And what it does is it lets people who have uh, recruiter as their uh, job title. I think there's a clever algorithm that makes sure that it's getting to the right people. Um, they'll be able to see that you're open to opportunities and approach you uh, in that regard. I think it's one of those things that, you know, yeah, we, we know it's great to have on there. Um, you know, you're more likely to get reached out by a recruiter. You can put in there information about what you're looking for. So if you're looking to relocate, for instance, um, you can put in there open to opportunities, but in Denver or in San Francisco, if you live in New York. So um, that can be a really good way of, of steering recruiters uh, into what you're looking for, uh, rather than getting too many generic uh, generic responses. Um, so yeah, I'd encourage people to use that functionality if they can, um, you know, because it does make you more visible. Mm-hmm. And I know both Mariah and Chris, you have been to so many networking events, um, events in the industry, and what are some of your tips? Um, about job searching. And I think Mariah can ask you about this question and also put her insights as well. Yes, thank you. Um, in, in thinking about how you, know, you can essentially approach the networking process, informing yourself about the potential companies you wanna work for and doing your research, um, how do you necessarily go about that with all things considered in terms of um, real estate publications, deal sheets, as you've kind of mentioned earlier, um, for the employee, but also for the prospective employer? So, you know, how do you go about finding who you want to work for, who is busy and who is hiring? Yeah, there is so much information out there now. And I think in, in, in the, the last 12 weeks, there has been more information put out there, you know, with great webinars and, um, you know, white papers and articles and people's opinions on what the new normal is going to look like. But there is so much out there. Um, I think any anybody in the real estate sector, whether you're a graduate who's just, who's just come out of school or whether you're, you know, 25, 30 years in the game is, you know, knowledge is power. You know, knowledge is knowledge and understanding is, is what's going to get you forward in this game. You know, yes, it's yes, it's who you know, but also what you know helps to get to who you know, if that makes sense. So, you know, if you're approaching a networking event and you're approaching somebody uh, and you see on their name tag they work for a certain company, 
if you're well read, hopefully you know what that company does. You might have seen they've done a deal recently. You might have seen they just built a new a new a new you know, property. Um, so I think you know knowledge is really really important. But there are so many ways you can do that. I get a number of the daily digests from the biz nows of the world, the commercial observers, the real deals. Uh, I know some of them have subscriptions, but you know I think for the cost of you know what's that probably a coffee a week, it's worthwhile getting those subscriptions and getting on demand information to your inbox on a daily basis. Um, it is super, super critical. Um, one thing I do, if you walk through New York City, and I'm sure there's people maybe from across the states, but certainly in New York, um, every construction site you walk past has a sign on it. And it says who the architect is, who the contractor is, who the owner is. Well, there you go. Straight away, there is a, an opportunity for you to, you know, if you were a budding architect or you wanted to go and work for a developer as an analyst, there's an opportunity to go, oh, I just walked past your site at 500 Fifth Avenue, and I can see you're building a 40-story high-rise. You know, I'd love to learn more about that. Um, actually, um, I, I actually did some appraisal work in my college course on that. Or if you're more experienced, you know, I've worked on transactions of a similar volume or similar scale before. Um, you know, I'd, I'd be really interested to learn more about it. Uh, and I think that kind of, again, that knowledgeable insight will get you in the door much quicker than just you know banging on it. If that makes sense. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think also just you know, the networking, but don't underestimate your network as well. And your network is, you know, that's everybody from your LinkedIn connections to your best friends to, um, you know, people you, you met at a networking event to your colleagues. Um, you know, everybody is part of your network and there can be indirect and direct people who can help you. And so don't be afraid to reach out and ask people, but look for connections and look for ways that you can get referred to somebody. I think it's a big thing because a personal referral, we all know, is the best way to get in front of somebody. Um, you know, business development is tough as it is, and there are lots of different ways you can go about business development or uh, a job search, but a personal referral is the number one way of getting in front of somebody. Hi guys, this is Mingja. Before we go to the next question, I just want to let you know that what Chris was saying about networking is very important. And I created a LinkedIn group for my audience to connect and engage with each other. When you go to LinkedIn in the search bar, type in Creative Talks Commercial Real Estate Podcast and a group should pop out. Feel free to join the group. Feel free to invite your friends, your colleagues, whoever you know in commercial real estate industry to join this group. And after you have joined the group, write a post about yourself, your name, your company, what you do. So people know what you do. And if somebody is looking to connect with you or if somebody else is also in the same city, they will reach out to you. So um, what Chris was saying about networking is really important in commercial real estate. This industry is about networking. And having this group not only will help me to connect with my audience, but also help my audience to connect with each other. So don't be hesitate to post in the group. And now let's go back to the webinar. Excellent. Um, and, in, and in thinking about, um, you know, essentially getting the attention of prospective employers um, and your mention of getting real estate news in real time from Commercial Observer and The Real Deal Biz now who also hold webinars. How do you kind of um, tie it into, I guess, following up with folks that you have may have seen on webinars, um, 
and connect with, connecting with them virtually. I mean, I guess ex expanding a bit more on like the virtual networking aspect, which we discussed yesterday, how do you approach that in sending a message to someone that you would like to work for? Yeah, I, I think a big thing is demonstrating you listen to them. Uh, I think that's a big thing. Just sending an email out saying, oh, I saw you on that webinar probably isn't enough. I think, see, I saw you on that webinar and the point you raised about this, I found particularly interesting. I found this or I think that demonstrating that, again, you're engaging with them. You're not just, it's all about me, me, me. It's actually demonstrating that you were there and clear and present and you actually heard what they said uh, and you interpreted that and, and then give your opinion to them. So that's a big thing as well. I think people who do these webinars are, are often, you know, they're very receptive to people wanting to get in touch, especially at the moment as well, where, you know, people have a little bit more time on their hands. They're not in the office. They're not commuting. Um, but I think, you know, it's, I, will, I would go back to somebody, I would go back to everybody, but somebody who engages with me and somebody who adds some value to me and somebody who's written a thought out and considered message to me rather than just a, a copied and paste job where I, I, my name's just been changed at the top. Um, so that's that's why I'd say I'd say engagement and, and, and again adding value the mm -hmm. get a response to somebody. And I, I like how you mentioned that no opportunity for finding a job is too small. You can walk down the street and see someone developing a building and reach out. I, I think that is a really great tip. Yeah. Um, Keep your eyes and ears open for everything. And you know, that comes back to that personal brand as well. You're always on show. You never know who you're going to meet. You never know who you're going to bump into. So um, being able to be articulate about who you are and what you do, um, sometimes referred to as your elevator pitch. But, you know, you know, if you met somebody at a dinner party or in a bar and they asked you, what do you do? Being articulate and able to really put that across to somebody is a really critical part of your personal brand. But, yeah, always have your eyes and ears open because you never know where opportunity is going to strike. Um, so be, be, always be ready. Oh, yes. And I have a follow-up question about networking. Um, hold on. So I have been to so many networking events when I was a student and also in um, when I was living in New York because New York is the hub of commercial real estate finance. And one big mistake that I made was that I collected a lot of business cards, but I didn't build a relationship. And networking is not about just collecting business cards. It's about building a relationship. And what are some of the tips um, from your perspective about following and building a long-term relationship? Is it anything like allyship or mentorship or just constantly following up with people through emails or LinkedIn? I, I think one of the biggest pieces of advice, I think, I think my CEO gave it to me, is, is give first. You know, to build a relationship, give first. So Give that person something. Give them a referral. Um, offer them some advice first, and then and then you can't respect to receive something until you've given something first. I think from a cold relationship. So that's probably a, a big bit of advice that I, I would say. Um, so when you're networking and you get all your business cards, you know you sit down the next day and you, you're trying to remember who people were and, and and people's names and faces. Be thinking about how can I help this person, not how can they help me. I think that's a really big piece of advice. So, uh, you know, and that might be introducing them to someone else you met at the networking day and say, oh, I met you guys both. I'm not sure if you guys are able to connect, but I see some synergies in what you guys do, what you guys should connect. Or, you know, you talked last night about, you know, you had an interest in this. Here's an article that I read that I thought could be of interest for you. Or here's a connection from my network who I think could really help you. And then, you know, you're more likely to get something in return. And reciprocal nature, that's a relationship, you know, when, when both parties are helping and working with each other and, and, and you know, and enjoying each other's company. And that comes from being a two-way street, 
no one likes being in a relationship that's one way, be it professionally or personally. And so having a two-way relationship with lots of communication uh, and lots of value adding from both sides is super critical. But I think give first um, and then you'll get, you'll get it back in spades. That's interesting. And in identifying opportunities of where the alignment might be for that exchange, um, you know, with a prospective employer or someone who works at a firm that you'd like to work at, um, you know, what what should someone look for when they're looking at an employer's page, you know, in terms of how they describe themselves, values, opportunity development, growth and, and learning? Sure. I mean, it, it's, a big, it's a big thing now, you know, how people, how clients portray themselves to the market is, is super, super critical. It's, it's not just good enough now to have this is the job and the job description, but people want to know what it's like to work for that business. And they want to know what it feels like. And, and you know, employers need to create an emotional connection to their business, that people want to work there, not just because of the brand above the door, but because of what it is like on a day-to-day -day basis. So um, I think if you're a jobs, job seeker, uh, looking at a career site, is it aligning to your values? Now, what's important to you in your life? You know, honesty, trust, respect, um, you know, proactivity, all of these things. Is it aligning to that? Um you know, can you picture yourself working within that business? Um, you know, a lot of businesses will talk about their training training schemes and their benefits package. You know, really going into detail with that um, is super critical. And so from a client's perspective, you've got to get all that stuff out there. You've got to be visible to all of that um, because that's what's going to differentiate you from other businesses um, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, you know, I think use of video is really good. There's something that Devil Smith have done quite a lot with is interviewing, you know, members of, members of the team. So as a prospective job seeker, I can watch an interview with somebody who's talking about what it's actually like to be there. It adds a sort of a personal touch to it um, and really gives you that, that insight. Um, you know, I, I don't know. There's a companies like Glassdoor that I, I don't necessarily think always show a, a positive and true um, you know, insight into a business. Um, you know, for different reasons, people use Glassdoor. So I would look at sites like that, but I wouldn't base my sole opinion on a business based on their Glassdoor reviews. The, the, the number one thing is go and speak to somebody who works in that business. You know, go and find somebody in your network who works for that business or find somebody within your personal network who knows somebody who works for that business and ask them and ask them what it's really like at the coalface to actually work at that business because there is also a difference between perception and reality. Any company can write a great careers page, but if it's not the reality of working there, then it's pretty worthless. So that stuff all helps you build a great picture, but really – Get in there and speak to people in that business and, and, and network with people from that business. And that will give you a true understanding of what it's like to work there. Yep. And um, this is my personal story. Um, one of my friends, he was looking for a job in a brokerage firm. And he he, want, he wanted to reach out to somebody who worked at this company to see what is it really like um, working at this position. And he found an alumni do the school connections. So if you have, if um, you graduated from like a real estate master's program, even 10, 15 years ago, you can still keep in touch with your, your alumni connections, reach out to them and somebody will be willing, happy to have coffee chat with you and really explain to you what the job hunting process, the interview process and what this company is looking for. Definitely. I think, I think people now are, are so open to, to giving their time you know and helping people but again you know the approach has to be right um you know again think about that that sort of 
You know, it's not take, take, take. You know, what can you give this person in return? How can you make that a mutually beneficial, you know, connection and relationship? Um, but yeah, I think people are, are happy to reach out. And I think anybody who's committed to the real estate industry wants to see new, fresh, young talent coming into the industry and succeeding. Um, so I know lots of people who, are, who, who have become mentors or whose doors are always open for people. Um, but I think it's, it's the, the, the quality of the approach is what's going to get you that. If you yeah. haven't taken the time to approach them properly, why should they take the time to, uh, on you to help, to help you out? So it's got to work both ways. Yes. And speaking of approach, um, I strongly agree with Chris that you need to approach it in the right way. If there's like a strategy behind approaching to a company or approaching to um, an employee in this company. So what are some of your tips um, about approaching a company? Well, I think, you know, per, I come back to per, a personal approach, you know, not just sending a resume, but sending it in for a reason and having, and, and again, a lot of talk around cover letters at the moment and are cover letters useful or not. Um, well, maybe if you're sending it into an ATS, uh, you know, or into a job advert, they might not actually get read. But if you're sending it directly to somebody, a cover letter is a really important thing because, again, it's about making the information accessible to that person. So this is why I'm applying to this role and attaches my resume that that you know details more about who I am and what I do. But I think that you know, that's really really important. Um, I remember, and this is probably a bit more difficult now at work from home, but you know, handwritten letters. Who receives a handwritten letter anymore in the post? It's so rare. You know, we get 100 emails a day, but who actually gets a handwritten letter, you know, with a postage stamp on it that arrives at, at your building? Now, I appreciate working from home now. You know, people's personal email addresses are, are, are not available, but that was certainly a thing. And it's just being different, you know, and just, just being somebody who's been proactive. You know, there's a there's a fine line between persistence and being a pest. Um, you know, you, you want to be proactive, but also... Uh, you know, you don't want to chase somebody every 12 hours and, um, you know, that, that sort of thing. So I think, you know, be wary of that. But um, I think people have got more time on their hands at the moment. And if you can reach out and you've got a compelling uh, you know, story um, and, you know, your background and skill set fits and you've shown that you understand what the opportunity could be with a client like that and why you want to work for them, then, you know, give, just just get out there and, and do it. You know, I, I think that's best advice. The The application you don't send, you know, you're never gonna, you're never gonna, you're never gonna get a job. So you've got to go out there and just, and just trial and error. I think as well. And what do you think about LinkedIn approach? So personally, I have received messages, LinkedIn um, connections. The first thing they put in the connection is, "I'm looking for a job. Do you have um, anything offering?" But I don't even know you. I don't even know this person. So I, from my personal experience, that is not the right way of approaching to a company or an employee of a company. So what are some of your tips on approaching through LinkedIn? Sure. I think the most important thing is you've got to make people feel like you are you are approaching them and not a mass group of people. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think the first line of any LinkedIn message should refer to that person's profile, should have a hook, should refer to maybe a webinar they were on, an article that they were cited in, a deal they've done recently. The first line should always be about them and always be about something that creates that hook um, as to you know, uh, you know, why, why you're approaching them and, and what they do. Um, I think then um, you know, uh, it comes back to that networking thing, you know, try, try and give first. Um, you know, don't ask on the first phone call to, for a mm -hmm. job. But maybe you could you could offer an opinion piece, offer an article, offer something else that builds a relationship. As we talked about, relationships are two way things. Um, so I think that's a, a good thing to do. Um, 
I think just being yeah, being being personal is is really important. Make people feel like they're not just one on a list of people where you're just clicking through and spamming, spamming, spamming. You know, make it personal. Take the time. Send ten really good, high quality ones and a hundred copied and pasted generic ones, and I, I think you get a much better response rate. Um, I think I could also just bring in here a little bit around um, working with recruiters as well, just because, um, yeah, I mean, people will apply directly to roles, but um, the value of a good recruiter, you know, cannot be underestimated. And you know, I'm sure I would say this, but I do genuinely believe that. Um, and I think with um, prospective job seekers who are looking to, for a role who go through a recruiter, I would say be really, really hot on working out how committed that recruiter is about that relationship with that recruiter and that client are so if a recruiter can't give you detailed information about a job opportunity the chances are they probably are instructed on it and, and it might be that, it, that it's a phishing exercise so i think be working with recruiters who are knowledgeable about their clients and can give you real insight into their clients but also recruiters who have a commitment from their clients that they can actually they're actually fulfilling that role and that might be a, a retained search um, which is a lot of what Daryl Smith do. Uh, we, we are retained by that client you know, contractually to fill that role. So we have a lot more control over the process, and, but also we have that depth of knowledge and understanding about that client. So we can really help candidates through the process. And I think that's probably a big thing is candidates going through a process, maybe don't know the person they're going to interview with next. Whereas a recruiter can say, well, you're going to go and meet David. Um, David's been with the business 13 years. David's interview style is very much evidence-based. You know, tell me a time when um, looking for evidence, whereas you're meeting with Susan after that. And Susan's style is much more laid back. And Susan will want to get to know your personality. So going through a recruiter, you can get that kind of insight that can give you a real head start and a real insight into the interview process, which ultimately is going to give you a better chance of success. So, yes, by all means, go and apply and network and do all that. But, you know, going through a recruiter can add a lot of a lot of value um, to your search and really help you through what is a, you know, a stressful time. So um, I, I wouldn't rule us out either. Good. Um, in thinking about, okay, so you are now set up for success, right? You've thought about your personal brand, resume, you've identified the company you wanna work for, you've approached them and now you have the interview. Um, how do you impress at the interview stage and stand out among the pool of applicants you're competing with? Sure. So first things first, research. Research is the biggest, biggest thing. Your biggest friend in, in this is, is knowledge is power. So I would be, if I know I'm meeting Susan or David, I'd be going really deep into who they are. I'm trying to find videos. I'm trying to find webinars. I'm trying to find, you know, information and news that they've been involved in so that I really understand who they are and what they do. And I'd be trying to get that out in the interview, not necessarily like name dropping or just, you know, but, but actually bringing that out in the interview and asking questions. Um, at the end of an interview, it's always, have you got any questions for me? And the amount of people who go, mm, no, actually, I think we've covered everything. You're, you're, you're wasting a massive opportunity there. You could then go, Susan, I, I have a question, actually. I, I saw you guys executed on a deal last week, a $30 million deal in, in Manhattan. I'd love to know more about how that deal came around. What can you tell me? Well, that, that, you know, you're creating a conversation. You're showing interest. And straight away, Susan's feeling engaged. They're like, this person really cares and really wants this job. They put the time into research and understand who I am and what I do. And they want to gain more information and learn. 
And I think that's a really powerful, powerful tool is you know, researching and then using that to formulate questions at the end uh, to, to ask more about that. Um, uh, a big thing after research is evidence. So it's all very well and good saying I'm great at this or I'm great at that. But evidence is really, really important. So if you're going to say you can do something, evidence it with facts uh, and evidence, evidencing it with scenarios from from your career to date is the best way to do that. So, you know, if you say I, I'm a, I've got great knowledge or I'm a great broker in the Manhattan area, well, then tell us about the deals that you've done and go into detail about how you've got that knowledge and how that knowledge has then helped you in, in your career. And there's a few techniques that, that people use. And uh, there's one called the SOAR technique. So define the situation that was in front of you, S. O, the obstacles, what were the obstacles that, that were there? A, what was the action? What was the action that you put in place? And R, what, what was the result? Um, and then I always put an L on the end, learn. What did I learn? And so you can then go through a, an op- a, a situation that happened. You know, tell me a time when you had to demonstrate um, you know, great leadership. Well, in this situation, I had, I had a, an, a, an issue with my team. There was an HR issue. The obstacle was that um, you know, it was causing an issue in the team and that we were, we were um, you know, losing revenue. My action was that I you know, nipped in the bud really, really quickly and had a face-to-face meeting with the person involved. And the result was that actually ended up, um, you know, everybody was harmonious again. And I learned that actually it's best to act quick and act fast on these things. So taking people through that kind of scenario is a really great way of showing your thought process and really demonstrating, evidencing how good you are at doing something. Uh, and that's what people want to see. That's excellent. I will use that um, in my next interview. <laughs> O-A-R. If you Google it, a lot some people call it the star technique, but it's, uh, it's a really yeah. Excellent. Thank you. Um, and, you know, how do you approach the follow-up and feedback for the interview process, the email afterward? Yeah, look, I think it's really important to follow up, um, uh, you know, and that's whether you're going through a recruiter or not. But, uh, you know, a, a nice email thanking somebody for their time maybe highlighting some of the key points you discussed, um, giving you know, some interest in actually showing that you want the job. I think people forget sometimes to actually show that they want the job and they feel a bit hesitant to do that. But I would be putting the follow-up email like, this is why I want the job. And this is what I learned from speaking to you. And this is why I want the job. So I think that's uh, that's a big thing for the follow-up. Um, you know, don't expect to reply straight away. Um, you know, if they're interviewing lots of other people, clients might want to do a batch of interviews first before giving feedback. Um, so let's see these four people and then then we can come out with our feedback. Some clients like to do it one by one or companies like to do it one by one. Um, but, um, you know, feedback is really, really important, especially if you're going through a recruiter as well. Make sure you are getting feedback because um, it helps. And take that feedback on board as well. Um, you know, I, I always like to be honest with people, not brutally, but just honest. Um, and and I, like to, I like people to understand about where they can improve because that's helpful. That's constructive. Whereas if it's just sugarcoated or you get no feedback, it's very hard to then know what you need to adapt and change for future interviews. So uh, I think, you know, feedback's important. Your follow-up is important. Um, but yeah, just, just you know, don't chase somebody. You know, I think 48 hours, you know, is, is a good time, but maybe even slightly longer if, if there's other people who are being interviewed. Excellent. That's great. Um, so now thinking about you've emailed and all of a sudden you've done a, f- a fantastic job, you followed all of Chris's tips and you got an offer. Sure. So um, what do you do then next? Well, I think, you know, 
you got to that stage and that's fantastic. I think you need to take a deep breath. Uh, I think, you know, what's really important is that, and especially at the moment when, you know, somebody might be out of work or, or even you're know, looking to leave a situation in a current employer is don't just jump, you know, don't just say yes straight away, you know, do your due diligence on the, on the offer. Um, so, you know, have a look at the, uh, the employment letter, you know, really understand what that entails. Does it align to what was said in the interview stage? You know, there are so many things that go into these letters, you know, in terms of hours, in terms of flexibility, in terms of holidays, in terms of benefits. So I think really take your time and go through each each offer in more in more detail to really, you know, get your head around it. Um, I think that, you know, know your value as well. I think at the moment, you know, people might feel, oh, well, I'll take a big pay cut to, to get into a role. But I'd be, I'd be hesitant and wary about that. Yes, you want to get your foot in the door, but also you know, be firm with your value, especially if you're you know, working in a, a sales role. You know, you're expected to negotiate. <laughs> that, that, that's what you do. Um, but know what's important to you. So I would be ranking what are my top three things that I need um, uh, in terms of a, of a package. You know, for some people, health insurance, the ability to put family on that is, is very, very important. For some people, holiday days is very, very important. For some people, flexibility, the ability to work from home is very, very important. So understanding what's important to you will put you in a, a stronger negotiating position if that's the route you want to go down. Um, I think often there's more flexibility in smaller businesses. Um, I think larger businesses tend to have quite rigid structures, but that's not always the case. And so I think, you know, don't be afraid to, to negotiate, but know why you're doing it and don't do it for the sake of it and be prepared to have trade-offs. There are certain things you might trade back to certain things you might trade trade forward um, are things that you really, really want. Um, so don't be afraid and don't be afraid to do your due diligence and take your time. But obviously the offers don't last forever. So, you know, and, and you want to make sure you're still showing your interest to your client. But hopefully throughout the process, you've been doing your due diligence anyway. And you've been asking great questions in the interview and you've been doing your research and you've been reaching out to people in your network. And hopefully by that stage, you should feel pretty confident and clear as the company you want to work. Mm-hmm. And in thinking about that, so knowing your value and, and measuring that. So if you get an offer and you're replying to an employer and you know you have these great skills, how do you kind of measure that in like, let's say an email or in a follow-up note to like make your case in the negotiation process? Like, how would I, what would be the script then? And how can I think about relaying my value? I think, I think, you know, email is a very difficult medium to negotiate on. I think that's the thing, you know, tone is very tough in email. I think try and have a conversation with people, try and have a, an actual conversation. Email is, is very tricky. So I'd say that's it. That's my first thing. I think, you know, when you, when you're negotiating, um, you know, uh, if, if, if let's say you're, you're taking a small pay cut, is there the opportunity for a salary review inside three months or six months? And can that be written into my, my, my employment letter? Um, you know, often a lot of these things are talked about, but they're not formalized. But, you know, asking for that opportunity to have a review to say and, and to have perhaps a performance related incentive uh, put into your into your package as well. So that then there's some skin in the game. So saying, OK, well, I'll take this small cut, but can I make that back up through my good performance over the year? Um, and so I think that those, those kind of things can, can be really helpful. Um, but you know, it, it is tricky and it doesn't come naturally to people, but I think knowing, knowing your value and not being afraid to negotiate, um, you know, uh, and know what's important to you is, is critical. Excellent. Great. I think one other thing that I just wanted to touch as well is that is 
think long term as well. You know, yes, short term, it's great to get, you know, a small pay rise. But if the company's not somewhere you want to stay for the next five or 10 years, then, you know, is that a good move for you? So I always think with an offer, yeah, okay, short term, it might be this, but is the long term there? And again, that comes into the interview process. You know, do you really understand what the long term opportunities for you to grow with that particular business are? And will that mean that maybe that's a negotiating tool? You know, well, I might take a slight less because I know that I can be here for five or 10 years and I can get to where I want to get to. I can fulfill my long term aspirations um, within this business. And so, you know, if you've got two offers and one's paying slightly more, but doesn't offer that same thing, well, are you better off taking the extra money now or getting the long-term benefit and, and value and potential uh, you know, career earnings from the other opportunity? So that, I always look at balancing those things and think about what is important to you now, but also in the future. Excellent. Um, and thinking about what matters to you, um, and you've mentioned that a lot throughout this, really reflecting and thinking about um, your employer's value proposition. How can, you know, and thinking about from the employer perspective, um, how can they think about how they're attracting their, you know, talent um, and, and connecting emotionally with their employees, the ones that they are currently hired and employed and, and prospective talent? I think people, and, and, I, and I, you hear a lot of terms now, Gen X, millennial, boomers, all this kind of stuff, but Ultimately, what hasn't really changed is people want to feel secure in their role. They want to be happy at work. You know, these things have not changed. You know, technology is advanced and there's more information out there and there's more things. But those things are critical. But I think people also now want to see innovation. They want to see um, you know, development of a business. They want to see growth. They want to see culture. They want to see employees being rewarded and challenged. And I think you know, there's big things to that. And I, I kind of look at your EVP. So this is your employer value proposition. So this is how you present yourself to the market. There's perception as reality. Perception is the careers page. Reality is like, what is it actually like to sit in that office and be there? Um, and so being able to demonstrate that is critical. So yeah, a strong careers page is very, very important. And um, having advocates for your business out into the market. Um, a big topic at the moment, obviously, with the pandemic is how have you as a company looked after your team in, in the last 12 weeks? And, you know, no doubt companies have had to make some very, very tough decisions that no company wants to make. But how you go about and communicate that is vital, because I think one of the big interview questions that's going to be over the next six to 12 months is how did you what, what did you do? And clients that aren't able to front up and say, well, actually, you know what? This is how we handled the situation. Yes, we made redundancies. Yes, we furloughed staff. But this is how we kept in contact and communicated with them. And I think that's going to be a big thing moving forward, especially at the moment as well um, with all of the um, the Black Lives Matter movement and, and a focus on diversity and inclusion. I know you had Desiree on yesterday talking a lot about that. But companies need to be able to articulate how they are actually acting on their DNI policy. You know, just having one is not enough. It's how you're acting upon it and how you're actually putting that into practice. Um, Devil Smith are actually this month getting really involved in Pride Month, and so the LGBTQ plus community. Uh, we're doing a lot, of, a lot with a, a charity in London. Um, we're doing a lot about how the real estate businesses are um, you know, pretty bad at engaging with uh, people from that community. And so we're trying to highlight and be visible. Um, so pick, pick a cause and, and help a cause and, and actually engage with the cause. That's a really great way to show that you're really uh, you know, uh, thinking about these things. You know, it's not all good just having a piece of paper that says these are the 10 things that we do. Action speaks louder than words. And, and, and demonstrating that to the market is really, really important. I think another key thing at the moment is obviously 
you know, businesses are changing, uh, the office is changing, um, you know, people joining a business now might be virtually onboarded. Um, they might not be getting the same employee experience as they might have done four or five months ago. So I think really detailing about how you're how you are addressing that, uh, you know, how you're doing that, how you're um, you know, helping people to integrate into the business. Um, we have a, an, an allies scheme at Devil Smith where we have four allies within the business who people are able to approach and have a confidential chat with. Um, we've had buddy schemes in the past where you're buddied up with a more senior member of the team who kind of shows you the ropes and uh, that, that sort of thing. And I think Again, critical then and linked these together is around people's mental health and physical well-being. And I think companies that are demonstrating that they are uh, they care about their employees' physical health and, and mental well-being is it's, they're going to stand out massively. Uh, and it's not just you know putting on a yoga class every week, but it's about really understanding that you know this is stressful times and work is stressful, uh, and how are we helping people on a day-to-day basis? to get through the, the, the struggles and stresses so that they can perform at a better level. You know, there's, there's a massive upside for uh, employers to focus on that. You get better better performing employees who are happier and more engaged and more likely to stay. So they're the big things that I think from a, a, an EVP perspective at the moment that we're seeing. Um, I think just another critical thing, we touched upon interviewing earlier and we talked about how candidates should prepare for interviews. Clients should prepare for interviews as well. I think there's nothing worse than when a candidate walks into an interview and the client is reading their resume for the first time. And I know we're all busy people, but that, you know, I think if a candidate is coming in to see you or taking an interview, the interviewer should take that time to, to know who they're meeting and why they're meeting them is really, really critical. And I think, um, you know, client c- companies should look to upskill the people who are interviewing people to actually give a proper interview, uh, you know, an evidence-based, competency-based interview, a structured interview. It's going to get a much better result, but it's also going to lead to a much better process um, uh, of getting people into the business. And, and it's going to deliver a much better candidate experience. And that three or four week period when somebody's interviewing you, that, that's their major you know, connection to your business. And so if the interview process, if you're always late, if you're not prepared, um, you know, if, if they don't feel it's, it's, it's a, a, a well thought out interview process, that's going to put people off as well. Um, you know, I appreciate some interview processes need to go through certain certain hoops and there's lots of stakeholders involved, but spell that out from the start and make people aware of what that might be so people can actually understand that rather than dropping and curveballs in along the way. I think that's really, really important as well. Um, and if you are going to use a recruiter, then engage with that recruiter. Give them lots of information about your company. Tell them the stuff that's under the hood. Tell them the stuff that's really important because we need to attract talent to your business. We are your your salesperson. We need to go out there and get people to come and work for you. And if we don't, if all we have is a job description, I can't, I can't, I can't sell that. But if you tell me about what the growth plans are for the business and what the business's culture is like and you allow me to speak to people within the team, I can build a much better compelling story that I can take to the market, that I can go and attract that top talent and the passive candidates, if you will, the people who are happy in their job. That's the kind of stuff that's going to get those people engaged, not just I've got a job, this is the job description. Um, you know, It needs to be much more than that now. So um, any follow-up question from Mariah? Um, no, I, I think that was, okay. you covered everything. Yep. Yeah, it's very, thank you so much, Chris. Um, we're running short in time here, so I think we'll go straight into the Q&A session. And I know, um, hi guys, this is Minja. Before we go into the Q&A session, I would love to hear what is your biggest takeaway so far from this webinar. And feel free to write it in the review session for this podcast 
or you can write it on LinkedIn and use hashtag Creative Talks Podcast, and I will be able to find your post and engage with you. I love engaging with my audience. I've been doing this podcast for a few months now, and I really want to expand my audience base. So it will mean the world to me if you can share this podcast with your friends, your colleagues, or help me to promote it on LinkedIn. A big thank you! Thank you so much to all of the lovely people out there. Once somebody asked、um, for advice for students. And which is one of the topics that we are going to cover. So let's just go straight into the Q and A.、Um, Jean asked, "The job posted recently are experienced required? Any advice for students who is recent graduate? Seems like the first job is the hardest to find." Yeah, definitely. I mean,、um, congratulations on, on graduating. You know, it's, it's a great thing, and、um, you know, you picked a great sector to want to get into. That's for sure. I think the. You know, yes, it, it is tricky to get that first thing. There's a couple of things that I think are really, really important here. I think start small. Don't always, you know, everybody would like to work for the biggest, shiniest companies on the scene,、um, and you know, I'm sure you'll have an opportunity to do that in your career. But start start small and approach companies who maybe aren't as visible and aren't as well known, who actually could really value your your kind of input and support and and your knowledge. So don't be afraid to, you know, don't just think you have to go for the blue chip companies. I think. Uh, you know, approaching other companies、uh, and smaller SME type businesses is is, is really really important.、Yeah. I think also knowing what are the skills and traits that you need to have to be good at the career you want to get into.、Um, so I get a lot of people asking me, "Oh, should I do an Excel modeling course?、Um, should I go and do a, a master's, or should I go and do a, this particular course?" And I say, "Well, is it going to further you to get to where you want to get to?"、Uh, and so I'd be speaking to people who are currently in the market, networking events, saying. What courses would you recommend I take? You know, what 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 are critical? And sometimes there might be five different Excel courses, but one of them is actually really well thought of. One of them is the one that, that everybody uses and the one that's really thought.、Of. So go and take that course because that's the best one. Don't waste your money on the other ones that aren't necessarily as well thought of or don't detail enough of what you need to know.、Um, I think、um, you know the mentoring side of things. I think if you can. Find yourself a mentor. It's not always easy, but whether that's a college professor or somebody through your network who would sit down and just have a coffee with you. A mentoring thing can be very formal or very informal. It can be it can be a coffee, you know, once once a quarter. It can be coffee once a week. But you know, getting you in front of people and 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 speaking to people who are in the industry and really understanding what it is that you, you know it entails.、Um, I think some people think they want to do something, and actually, when they find out more about it, they go, "Actually, that's not actually what I thought it was." You know,、uh, real estate development might not be all, all of that. You know, actually, I'd be more better suited in property management or asset management.、Um, so I think your 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 research is really important again at that stage.、Um, and then think about what other alternative routes in there might be. So you know, commercial brokerage. You know, to go and be a broker for a year. I know that you know, the money is tough, and and and, and when you get started, but that can be a great way into the you know, commercial real estate sector. Um, I know people in the UK who went to go and be residential estate agents, so realtors, and then use that as a platform to get into residential development because they started to learn about a market. They become a market expert, and then suddenly that information is really useful when you're developing a property, and then when you want to sell that property because you know all the comps and you know everything that's going on in that area. So think about alternative routes. Think about what skills and traits you need to have, and and are you. Have you fulfilled enough of those to get you to that next stage? And speak to people who are currently in those roles to really work out: is it is it actually what you want to do、um, yeah. first before committing long term? Yep.
we're running short in time, but this will be the last question. Um, what about career transition? This is an interesting question. Is a cover letter necessary? And how would you appro approach the resume if you have experience in another field, but you also have completed a master's in real estate? Yeah, I mean, I think I think on a resume, uh, certainly a career transition one, you could have a profile or you should have a profile at the top. Avoid buzzwords, avoid, you know, kind of the things like, you know, I'm always on time and I'm polite and I'm smart. You know, the profile should be, you know, this is who I am. This is what I've done. And this is what I want to do now. And you could definitely preface a resume with that. But I agree, a cover letter would be a great thing for that to really articulate why you want to make the move and what your transferable skills are to make that move. And also demonstrate that you've really thought it out. So, you know, I, I've researched this company. I've spoken to somebody in this role. Now, I've really done my due diligence into what this what this move would entail for me, and I still want to do it. Um, but, I, I, again, I would say that, you know, career moves, you know, make sure you know what you're getting yourself into as well. Because what you don't want to do is hop between careers, you know, every few years because you didn't really know what that would entail long term. So, yeah. uh, you know, Career changes are great, and, and, and for some people, they work really, really well. But make sure you do your research. Uh, if you are applying to somebody, tell them why you're doing it. Tell them what you bring to the table. Um, you know, that's really, really, really critical. Yes. So um, I'm sorry we cannot go over all of the questions in the comment session, but um, make sure you can leave your question in the LinkedIn event group that we have it set up because Chris is also in the group. Yep. And if you have, we have like three or four more questions to, um, that we would love to get into, but we ran out of time and we have our happy hour sessions coming up. Yep. So um, you can leave your question in the LinkedIn group and then tag Chris in the question and he'll be more than happy to answer your question in the LinkedIn group session. And the link to the LinkedIn group is under the video that you're watching right now. Just click on the link and it will go straight to the LinkedIn group. Great. Sure. Um, yeah. If anybody would like to re reach out, um, you know, we'll do what we can to support people. I know it's a stressful time for lots of people, but you know, I think the real estate sector is, is going to be the key drivers of the economy bouncing back both here and in the UK and Europe and globally. Um, so, uh, you know, stick with it, stay positive and, uh, you know, don't be afraid to reach out and uh, have a great weekend.